Hello and welcome to the next episode in a Shoesmith's podcast series on the COVID-19 pandemic and its impact on industry. My name is Alex Friston and I'm an associate in the business crime and compliance team here at Shoesmith's. Today, we're delighted to be joined by John Smart, who is a partner in our Solon office, where he leads the office's litigation services team. And he also joined us in his capacity as Shoesmith's head of mobility, where he oversees the firm's growth across areas such as automotive, rail, aviation, marine, logistics, and very importantly, the future of transport. Today, we'll be discussing with John the impact of COVID on the mobility sector and his work as a commercial litigator and asking him questions about wider experiences of the pandemic, any lessons learnt, the ultimate aftermath, and then some thoughts towards the public inquiry, which is set to commence its first public hearings in May. John, thanks ever so much for joining us today. There's such a vast array of paths we could go down here, but it's probably easiest to begin from the start. So, you know, how did the announcement of the very first lockdown all the way back now in March 2020 initially impact you and your clients? Thanks so much for for having me. Looking back at that time, uh, I don't think it's an overstatement to say that it was the the worst event in in recent history for the automotive sector in particular. Um, 97% of new car sales dropped off the cliff immediately and new car manufacturing in the UK dropped by 30% in that initial period. So it, it had a very, very dramatic and very immediate impact on the automotive space. I think almost more dramatically, though, has been that the hoped for aspirational bounce back hasn't transpired. It's a sector that is still feeling the ramifications from the COVID-19 pandemic. And that can be shown through supply chain challenges uh, that continue today through semiconductor shortages. So, I mean, very, very dramatic. And I think when you're looking at a a client base, I mean, we're fortunate enough to work for, for a large number of car manufacturers. And of course, the COVID pandemic impacted them all the way through their supply chain from manufacture all the way through to delivery to dealerships, all the way through to those dealerships actually shuttering their doors during the first period of lockdown. Absolutely. So massive impact across the board then, effectively. On that point then, how easy was it for you, yourself, and also your clients, more importantly, really, to adapt to these new measures that were introduced by the pandemic and what we've still got sort of remnants of today? Yeah, I think it it can be categorised into the kind of the short-term and mid-term changes. I mean, the the new measures around lockdown lockdown, that was something that was very reactive. So so a lot of clients needing a lot of help immediately in terms of when they could open, for whom they could open, can you carry on uh, operating a factory here in the UK? Those are the types of very immediate impacts that the sector to face. But actually, you know, we've become a more globalised society and actually the ramifications of factory closures in China had just as much of an impact. Literally in the last couple of weeks, we've seen kind of Ford highlighting that semiconductor shortages that have their history in the COVID-19 shutdowns are actually going to result in, in supply chain shortages three years later. And I think that's where the kind of adapting to new measures is less of a legal issue, but actually just one of a supply chain issue more than anything else. Absolutely. And you you said there about the sort of reactive nature of the the pandemic in terms of for you and from a legal perspective, and then your clients as well in the mobility sector, and that adaptability um, point too. On that, you know, how prepared do you think you were for this pandemic and, and your clients as well? And how did you work together to sort of get through that? 
Yeah, I think it, it's impossible for almost any sector to have been prepared for the pandemic. And actually, I think automotive had its own unique challenges coming out of the immediate aftermath of Brexit. I think in terms of the the ability of the sector to be resilient, I think it, it, it speaks volumes for the UK automotive sector that it was able to bounce back so quickly. At one point, there was an expectation that one in six jobs in the automotive sector in the UK was going to be lost as a consequence of COVID. And unfortunately, that number never came to, to transpire to be correct. But I think that there's a degree to which um, there's going to be a change in consumer demand in the automotive space moving forwards. You know, for example, manufacturers were already looking at direct sales to customers rather than going through the traditional dealership models. And actually, some of those transitions that are taking place post-COVID-19 perhaps would have softened the immediate lessening in, in new car sales at the time. Absolutely. And, you know, look, looking back at how quickly we've both bounced back and looking towards the future as well. Let's let's take it a step back. What do you think your sort of top priorities were when trying to manage that initial impact of the pandemic to sort of soften that initial blow on the clients? And, you know, moving forward between you know, 2020, 2021 is very different. Um, you know, there's so many different aspects in relation to try and control the impact of a pandemic but I think as a legal advisor, people will appreciate we only have so much control over sort of mitigating certain risks as well, um, which definitely appeared at the time to be sort of completely unmanageable. What's some of your thoughts about, about that? Yeah, and, and I think, you know, it wasn't just the automotive sector, but so many sectors went into firefighting mode in the immediate aftermath of COVID-19, the first lockdown. And that is reflected on actually the work we were often asked to do. We could be looking at anything in terms of the impact of an automotive manufacturer's sponsorship agreement of a Premier League football team, all the way through to PR and filming, all the way through to supply chain issues, all the way through to something far more mundane in terms of uh, a contract for the cleaning of their offices. And, and there is a very reactive nature to that first pandemic because no one was expecting the nature or the duration of that first lockdown. Lockdown. And so you went very much into firefighting mode in terms of prioritising those immediate reactions. I think the mid-term and, and the long-term, we, we've talked about it a little bit more. It's more about supply chain resilience. I, I think as a sector, we, we learned very quickly that actually the, the historic uh, model of supply chain where you produce parts as you need them to manufacture a vehicle as the demand arises, that is very, very efficient model, but it also relies on supply chain resilience. And if any part of that supply chain breaks down, that whole supply chain resilience can create these stoppages that I think is the main priority for the sector moving forward is trying to create that resilience for the future. I know you mentioned there about being sort of in firefighting mode in, in general, and this is obviously something I'm sure you're very well equipped as in your sort of day job as a, as a litigator. Um, so moving on now to sort of more from a litigation point of view, um, looking more specifically at, say, the court system and hearings and tribunals. What were the communications within the legal industry, you know, such as any guidance or policies that you and your clients both looked at? Yeah, I think um, from a litigation standpoint, um, as soon as lockdown hit, 
all the courts immediately closed, which led to a immediate vacation of trials, etc. But actually, it was more the long-term transition to the utilisation of remote technology that we've all become far more experienced with using, such as Teams and the court video platform. In terms of kind of large scale disputes, we have historically used technology in international arbitration for a long period of time. But historically, the English courts have been slightly more reluctant about conducting trials and hearings remotely. There's been a, a feeling that cross-examination of witnesses can be lost over teams and over technology platforms. But I think there's a, a kind of a long-term feeling that except for trials, most applications, most hearings can now be done remotely. So it, it has represented a stark change in the way that litigation and arbitration is continued moving forwards. Brilliant. So during the pandemic, how did you and your clients in the mobility sector specifically make sure that all statutory maintenance and regulations were still being complied with? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good question. There was a lot of support from industry bodies like the, the Society for Motor Manufacturers and Traders at a kind of a dealership and, and local OEM level. And I should should say OEM, we're, we're talking about the kind of the, the core car manufacturers that you may be familiar with in terms of brand names. But I think actually at a, an international level, there is obviously far less industry support. So we would support wherever possible in terms of changing regulations. It, it, alongside this, still having to look at the, the developments alongside Brexit. So, for example, you know how the changes in Brexit resulted in requirements and regulations around new car models. Yeah, like type approval and things Absolutely. like that. Absolutely. And, and of course, alongside all of this is a, a big development uh, and a growing specialty in terms of electric vehicles, etc., which uh, make all the historic work on type approvals even more important. And do you think that's become more important and more on a consumer and consumer's radar post-pandemic as well, um, just from a sort of environmental perspective, you know, about EVs and and the infrastructure behind that too? Yeah, I think that's right. It, it, it's interesting when we look at the kind of the post-pandemic automotive landscape, you can see there's been that shift of consumer demand for electronic vehicles. Electric vehicles for the first time are now outweighing the traditional petrol-driven vehicles in, in new car sales as of 2022. And, and I think that, that that is one of the tipping points kind of post-pandemic. It'll be interesting to see whether the infrastructure can keep pace with that customer demand. We've already talked a little bit about supply chain resilience, but actually, if we are to achieve that kind of 2030 government goal of no new petrol vehicles, there's going to need to be a phenomenal investment at an infrastructure level for, for electric chargers. Do you see that as a realistic goal from the government? At the moment, I don't see it being realistic absent a very, very substantial government investment. I, I, at the moment, I don't think the the rollout is not just not on track for 2030, but even if it were to increase the, the speed of rollout very dramatically, we still wouldn't get to where we needed to be by 2030. So moving on from the pandemic as, as it was at the time, do you think there's any lessons to be learned from your perspective, you know, is there anything that you or your clients you think would do differently or whether there's any sort of positives that you'd want to take away from that? It's, it's a really good question. Uh, I'm, I'm loath to suggest that there's probably any positives, um, not just because of the dramatic impact COVID had more generally, but also on the fact that it had such a devastating impact on, on an automotive industry, particularly in the UK, which has gone through its own hardships over the years. I think in terms of the lessons, however, I think you know we, we have seen a growing 
velocity and that shift to digital sales and services. So with physical showrooms being closed, many dealerships and car manufacturers have had to, to expand that shift to digital sales and services using online platforms, for example, uh, an ability to, to book in your car service electronically without the need for, for human interface. And so you've definitely seen that side of, side of it change. And then uh, again, I, I'm always loath to repeat myself too much, but I do think it's that supply chain resilience. You know, we, we are seeing a real focus on what can we do. And we talk about historically globalization. So big manufacturers with phenomenal warehouses in one location, shipping vehicles all around the world. That There's now a, a growing sense that actually that might not be the most resilient model. Perhaps it's a, a better model to have local manufacturing facilities um, in continents, possibly even groups of countries to try and secure that supply chain resilience. And what about in the UK? Well, I mean, the, the, the UK is, is unique in, in many respects in terms of its automotive manufacturing. You know, we look at actually the cars that are made here. We are very fortunate in that some of the, the manufacturing plants have got real focus on electric vehicles. So the hope is that there will be uh, an opportunity for UK manufacturing to grow as a consequence. But there is concern in the market. And I think with British Vault recently going in into administration, I think there's a particular sensitivity around battery manufacture in the UK. Absolutely. We've spoken a bit about sort of electric vehicles and the infrastructure behind them and the future and globalization. What are your predictions for sort of the future of transport mobility post-pandemic, especially given the sort of work from home culture that's very much got a feeling of, of, of it being here to stay. Yeah, I think I think if we're looking at a kind of a longer tail kind of predictions, I don't know, 2030, for example, I, I think there is going to be an expansion of things like mobility as a service and subscription models. We're already seeing a, a lot of manufacturers and OEMs look at um, more traditional models of subscription. So, for example, rather than my hiring a vehicle, I can I can subscribe to it where I get that vehicle for a month if I need it, I can hand it back. But I actually think you might start to see models which have subscription models for far shorter periods of time. So for example, if I need a, a car to take me to the station, I can hire it for two hours, three hours. That shared mobility, I think that's gonna become far more prevalent when we're looking towards 2030. And how do you think that ties in with businesses like Uber and Bolt and, and things like that? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I mean, some people might think that actually those mobilities of service opportunities are a threat to, to, to players like that. But actually, I think Uber, Bolt, they're already looking at this as an extension of what they do. You know, for example, as there's a greater transition towards autonomous vehicles, Uber's long-term business model isn't probably reliant on its relationship with its driver workforce, it probably accepts at some point in its future, it will be predominantly based on autonomous vehicles. And actually, if you, you take that to its logical extension, that kind of mobility as a service subscription model becomes actually something that's quite complementary to Uber's core business. And do you think that's more come as a result of just sort of linking it back to the podcast being about COVID, you know, the travel restrictions that, that were in place and people not wanting to get into taxis and Ubers and, and car sharing? Do you think that's the sort of linked to that too? I think it is. And, and it, just extending what you just said almost to that aversion to, to large scale public transport, like trains and buses, et cetera. There was a real sensitivity during COVID around that. And actually, you know, if you're able to get autonomous vehicles 
working effectively to, to reduce traffic congestion, etc., and you shift away from petrol-driven vehicles, there isn't such an environmental case for large-scale transport such as rail networks, etc., being the exclusive form of mass transit. Thanks, John. So as I mentioned at the start of the podcast, the COVID inquiry is due to commence its public hearings in May. Um, We're still at the fairly early stages and have only witnessed preliminary hearings so far at the time of recording and very intrigued both personally and as a firm um, to see how it's going to pan out over the course of what we expect to be, you know, at least a couple of years. Do you anticipate any of your clients to be active in the inquiry? Yeah, it's a a really good question because I think that the fact that the automotive sector has been so catastrophically impacted by COVID, both in in its immediate impact, but also the aftermath, I I think there's a a, a real space here for industry bodies like the SMMT to to get involved in the inquiry, particularly the inquiry's elements around the economic response to the pandemic and its impact on on industry, because this is going to have a real long-term tail for the automotive space. I mean, I'm realistic in terms of of the fact that a lot of the automotive manufacturers will have uh, immediate reactions and immediate concerns around supply chain shortages, semiconductor shortages, etc. But I mean, that's the, the beauty of, of industry bodies like the SMMT. They're able to collate the views of the various manufacturers and dealerships and, and present that as a unified voice. So I think there's a fantastic opportunity here for industry bodies to, to, to get involved with the inquiry and represent those from the automotive space. And do you think there's anything that you or potentially your clients are specifically hoping for as a result of the inquiry and you know that might be something along the automotive lines or or um or mobility but um, is there anything that you personally are hoping for as a result of the inquiry yeah i think i think that there's probably two angles to that i mean i, I think in terms of the, the public health side of it and the care side of it i, I think there. There are lessons to be learned. We, we need to be alive to the fact that this may not be the, the last pandemic that we as a country face. And so I think first and foremost, there are, are a health response uh, lessons to be learned so that we can try and learn from this and, and take what little positive there may be from what was truly a catastrophic event. And then from a, a sectoral perspective, I think that the, the automotive space would be looking at tailored support from government. Now, whether you want to refer to that tailored support as coming as a consequence of COVID, as a consequence of their 2030 net zero carbon targets, I think whatever way you want to couch that support, I, I think there is a real call to arms from the automotive sector here in the UK. And that's not just big, large car manufacturers. That flows all the way through the supply chain to kind of the smaller businesses, which actually, you know, you find those components sitting in your vehicle when you get in in, in the car in the morning. So some very clear and definitive lessons to be learned then. And I think we can all take that on board very closely, given how personally the transport and mobility sectors affect us all. Well, that concludes today's podcast. And it's been absolutely brilliant having you and listening to your views. So thanks ever so much for joining us today, John. Now the inquiry has begun, we will continue to watch very closely in respect to what varying outcomes might mean for the mobility sector. So please do watch this space. There is going to be examination of all different industries and sectors and services, and so Shoesmiths will continue to keep a watchful eye. Thanks very much. Mm-hmm.